with respect to AS and material and material receipts and inspection is yeah. no longer is it okay to just say, oh, this here's material, um, 6061 T6 aluminum, blah, 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 check, it's here. I now have to uh, make sure that the alloy that I ordered is the alloy that the customer wants. Yeah. So we need to go to the spec and make sure that the percentages of each component of the alloy fall within the range. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. The audit procedures require end-to-end traceability and visibility into your processes. While they might vary a bit across industries such as medical or aerospace, the fundamentals are still the same. They are the same in how you vet your suppliers, how you ensure that the due dates are accurate on your POs, and finally, how you deliver to your customers with consistency. So how do you ensure that you are not going to get any red flags during the audit process? In today's episode, our guest, Anna Reyes Potts, shares her insights into the audit and quality processes for machine shops. She also discusses the differences in the quality and audit process for various industries. Finally, she discusses how the processes of a machine shop differ from generalized manufacturing, including inventory, inspection, procurement, and supplier quality control. Let me introduce Anna to you. Anna comes to us with over 25 years of direct experience in manufacturing and operations, the majority of them in medical devices, particularly prosthetics and orthopedics. In 2015, she made the leap to custom machining, now GM, for TMF Incorporation, which caters to the defense, space, and aviation industries. She also consults small businesses on ERP systems and quality systems. To Anna, the two go hand in hand, the ERP being a powerful tool that manages and stores your important quality data, customers, products, inspections, and supply chain. Utilize your ERP to its fullest and it will help you pass quality system audits. With some of her free time, she serves on multiple boards supporting industry and economic development with a lean towards education and workforce development, an ever-growing challenge. In 2020, she was awarded the Last Day Assess Annual Defense and Security Leadership Award by PNDC the Pacific Northwest Defense Coalition. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, welcome to the show, Anna. Hi, Sam. How are you? (laughs) 
I am doing wonderful. And you know what? I am super excited to have you because the kind of stories you are going to bring from the quality world, the audit world, from the, it's going to be so fascinating for our listeners just to kick things off. Do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus, Anna? Yes, absolutely. Um, so first of all, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I've been listening to you and I really do enjoy your podcast. So I'm thrilled to be here and glad to that our schedule finally worked out. Yeah. Um, so I've been in manufacturing for 30 years, thereabouts. Long time. And a long time. It started in aerospace. Then I took a 23-year detour through through medical devices, and then I'm back in aerospace. Oh, wow. So it started out with a temporary position at the Boeing company, whereas I was with the material group supporting the development of the 777 platform. That, that was my first introduction to bills of material manufacturing. Oh, wow. So I didn't get to see the entire bomb, but that's okay. That was a good thing. Um, when that stint ended, I got a job, another temporary job. This time it was for a prosthetic and orthopedic manufacturing hmm. company. Um, I was a temp there too, like I said, and I was in customer service. When yeah. I got there, um, I was surprised to see the reps, the customer service agent. At the end of every day, the manager of the department would take these sheets and tally up everybody's orders for the day. And that, that was surprising to me because we also had a system for for entering orders and shipping. So I offered, you know, I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And my first week there, I offered to do that. It's like, I can put it in Excel. So so I did and and took it off her hand. Um, Then I met with the people in accounting, got some extended rights, and found out how to get the data. Um, When I was in college, I had a temp job um, working for an engineering firm that did manuals for uh, custom databases made in FoxPro and yeah. I was helping with the manuals. So I knew enough to, to go around the system and figure out how to extract the data. Yeah. So that was my first venture into, into automation. Um, and then from there, I got a full-time job. Like I said, I was there for 23 years from customer service. I moved over to marketing. Um, I went into quality and yeah. eventually my last seven years there, I was VP of Very but cool. I have to say, like most of the pivoting critical uh, building blocks of how I feel businesses should be run, you know, especially customer service, were those few days um, at the prosthetic company, uh, the, the automation, but also um, the the way you treat your customer. Um I didn't realize this back then when I was offered the permanent position. I was in customer service, but I would say it was one of the biggest things that shaped my business value, specifically uh, supporting the customer. Um, Another story that helped build my customer service values was being a hostess at a sushi bar. Uh, The lead server used to tell me, now keep your eye out. Look for people who are trying to get your get some eye contact and anticipate what I need what they needed so it's like wow okay so I did that and I constantly looked around the room checked out looked for someone trying to make eye contact and to this day when I'm at a restaurant I look at the servers to see if they do the same but you can take this to any job in any business anticipate customers needs uh, be it an internal customer or an external one so but back to the prosthetic company um, so the founder used to toot his horn and, and say, yeah, all people should start in customer service. 
So because it helps drive how you make decisions and care for the customers. And we don't we didn't really do this in practice, though there were so several engineering folks who did start off in that department. Um, so like I said, it's not feasible. What I do today, um, what I've been doing for years as a manager is to add to everybody's job description that it's everybody's role to support the customer. It's everybody's role to support quality and to promote safety. So of course you have to back that up with you know, your everyday conversation and especially your action. Back to the beginnings again. I'm going to keep on going back there because it, that's what opened my eyes to, to operations and business. Um, it was my second year there when we upgraded our legacy accounting software to a full-on ERP system that truly supported operations, product development, engineering, production, sales management, you name it. Um, and at the same time, very important, we were implementing our ISO 9000 and getting our products to EMARC. So that's where it all started coming together. Um, so at my time, we went through, at the company, we went through several acquisitions. So then I was able to work with multiple MRP systems, implementing our ERP at the company that we acquired, implementing an outside ERP when we were the ones acquired going back to our ERP when everyone realized ours was needed to control inventory and engineering. Yeah. But, so we were allowed to use our system for manufacturing, including engineering, but not for order fulfillment, cost finished goods. And so that was a challenge, not to have the complete loop. Yeah. But one of the yeah. one of the tricks I did was to save the bomb costs under a different cost type. So when we eventually went back to the system for the entire cycle, most of the infants there. The last acquisition at, press, at the prosthetics, uh, I was part of the, the due diligence group that that um, took on the machine shop uh, that did aerospace work. So the prosthetic and orthopedic industry, uh, I don't know if you know this, but it was going through some Medicare upheavals at that time. And so as a company, we decided we needed to spread out into other industries. It, the ISO 13485 quality standard for medical device manufacturing yeah. and aerospace yeah. AS9100, they're equally as stringent. They're not too different. They were both based on, on the old ISO 9001. So at least back then, it wasn't a large leap, as large a leap as you would think. Um, the leap was in the transition from manufacturing your own product line with thousands of SKUs to a job shop. This time around, thankfully, we were, we were allowed to keep both business systems, um, both ERP systems that was appropriate for our models and not rush into um, the in integration may be inevitable. Um, I've been gone for the last five years, so maybe it's happened. But it was a critical step to understand the new businesses, especially from the shop floor level. Um, so fast forward to 2016. I joined TMF as general manager. TMF is a CNC machine shop. We're primarily in the defense and aerospace space. Um, my husband and I co-own it with another family, the Woods. So now I'm 100% in contract manufacturing. Um, I also have a side gig. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> this trend isn't going away soon. I assist small businesses with AS9100 and ERP implementation. I've been doing this for five years. Um, not a huge operation, just me. I mean, after all, I do have a day job. <laughs> But um, on the AS9100 side, I lead and provide guidance to, to small businesses, namely machine shops, who have no little to no QMS. Um, they've been in aerospace. They've been in the business for a while. They've been grandfathered by their customers. Um, but at some point, a key customer now needs them to be certified. So that's where on the ERP side, that came 
serendipitous. I was geeking out with a couple of folks on ERP systems. A friend of a friend of a friend had been on the fence about implementing it, and I couldn't help but give my two cents <laughs> before I knew it. Um, I was assisting them with their with their vetting, selection, and implementation. So, so now we come to today, where still I have my day job as general manager of the machine shop with my side gig, um, helping customers, you know, with their AS100. Okay, amazing background there. So obviously you have done a lot, and that's why you know you have a, a very interesting story. Uh, you know, you uh, I'm actually going to ask you a question. You know, what have you not done? Uh, you know, it seems like you have, <laughs> you have pretty much touched every single industry and every job. Uh, you know, good for you. So obviously we are going to have a lot of fun discussing all of those experiences. Uh, but before we do that, we have one of the standard questions that we ask every single guest, and that is going to be Anna, your perspective on business growth? Uh, So I would address that first on a personal level. So my aim, because, you know, even with, you know, my day job, I'm reaching out, you know, to other companies and helping them. So my aim is to continually learn how to improve things and help others do the same. Um, I like to share my knowledge. And to me, that's very fulfilling. At TMF, our business partners are all in the same wavelength. We have a fulfillment factor for ourselves and for our employees. Um, add to that the business element. It's about continually satisfying our customers at a high level while maintaining control of costs, uh, improving productivity. And I don't I don't necessarily mean doing more with less. Yeah. I mean doing more, doing it lean, and doing it well. And with all this, we have to do right by our employees. It's It's important to mentor them provide them with resources, ongoing training, so that they continue to earn a good living and enjoy their work. It's not just a job, right? And and when they're fully engaged, they contribute to success. Okay, very interesting perspective. So now we are actually going to dig into some of the interesting stories uh, that you have. And uh, obviously, you have been in a lot of different industries. So today, you know, obviously, our focus is going to be more on the AS900 uh, mm-hmm. and the quality systems. But when you look at industries such as medical device and the aerospace, since you have had experience in both of these industries, and a lot of machine shops are actually serving both at the same time, and sometimes they need to comply with the quality systems and the quality processes of both of these industries. So when you work in these two industries, can you compare and contrast the quality requirement and the manufacturing processes in these two? So there's not much different. Um, like I said, both standards were uh, came from the AS91, excuse me, <laughs> came from the ISO 9001. Yeah. Um, in later years, ISO became kind of watered down, whereas A- AS9100 and ISO 13485, they continued with their same strict requirement. Now, the differences between the two, um, I could tell you from experience that in medical devices, it's not about customer satisfaction. It's yeah. about getting the parts done correctly. Yep. Um, the customer not might, might not like what you gave them, yep. but... You know, you did it right, and it's safe. Yep. Um, with aerospace, um, see, my company, we don't design the parts, the components. So what we do is we make the parts. Um, well, that applies to the medical devices also. We make we make the parts to the customer specification. Yeah. We're not involved in the design process. So, so from that perspective, 
they're identical. We maintain the traceability. We maintain like the high quality, the inspections. Um, the inspection reports may be different. Yeah. Um, and really, we treat our medical customers like the air, just so that we follow one standard, but it is sufficient for the medical devices at the component level. Okay, amazing. Yeah. yeah, it does. Thank you so much for those. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed the comment about, you know, uh, from the process perspective, uh, the medical device and aerospace are not going to be as uh, different. Uh, and some of the key insights that you have provided is uh, in case of medical device, as I hear from my friends and the customers as well, uh, that there it's not just about the customer experience. It's not about, uh, you know, moving fast. Sometimes a lot of companies move fast. But in case of medical device, I think doing, doing it right, the way you mentioned is going to be the biggest priority. So their KPIs are going to be very different. So now let's move to the, the next segment of the discussion, which is going to be when you are doing the audit trap, right? Uh, obviously you need to get a lot of things in order. So a company that has never done any sort of audit, or if they have never produced parts for a regulated industry, for example, aerospace or the medical device, what do they need to do from the process perspective, from people perspective, also from systems perspective to be ready for the audit? Oh, uh, starting from scratch. So, you know, I've been fortunate to work with companies that are already in the industry. And as I mentioned earlier on, they were grandfathered by their um, by their customers. Um, and then their customers decided that now you need to take the step up and get your certification. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, as close to the beginning as possible. They already have their, um, and we're talking machine shops, they already have their process. Yeah. They, they already, because they're accustomed to working with, with aerospace, even if they're not certified, they know they're going to get the document package. They yeah. know they need to, to do the inspections, the calibration, et cetera. Yeah. So my advice to them, though, would be to, to well, to really clean up, you know, your, your data acquisition, okay. to, to start looking into your processes and, and, you know, having them fully documented. That is the one thing that I saw that was missing. Yeah. Um, while everybody knew what the what you do, and really from shop to shop to shop, um, servicing the same type of customer, it doesn't vary too much. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and that's the purpose of the standard that, that we all kind of read from the same hymnal and and we all you know follow these processes. Um, they don't dictate how we're going to machine something, but there's always an inspection. There's always risk. There's always um, there's always the documentation. Um, I would start off with that customer saying the AS9100 standard is kind of a a CYA approach. Okay. So everything you do is documented. Everything you your suppliers do is documented. You maintain that traceability. So in the event um, God forbid that something were to happen, you can go to the source, contain, correct right away. Yeah. What I do with, you know, these new customers is you know, because they're not, they're not accustomed to, to the audit and the, and the standard. Um, I go, you know, step by step, clause by clause and, and provide them with the training and give them the real world scenario as yeah. to what that means, yeah. why it's important. And oftentimes I will give them, you know, my very simplified form for how they would like document 
a, a certain event. Um, and then we'll look into their system and see, okay, where does that happen in your in your okay so that's so, where it starts yeah okay amazing <laughs> so now uh, you know what we are going to do we are going to do a little bit of walkthrough because sometimes when you are hearing these things it might be very hard to follow for people who might not be as experienced with the audit process. so one of mm -hmm. the comments that you made is about cleaning up the data and we all know that mm -hmm. obviously the data cleansing is going to be a long exercise it's probably not going to be done in one day it's going to require a lot of effort before you are going to be as ready overall from your data acquisition perspective also how you are processing your data so maybe pick a story where you know you started in the engagement and you felt that data was not correct so maybe provide the examples of the business what kind of business are we talking about what is the size of the business you know and talk about the data cleanliness what kind of data they had that was not clean when you started in the mm, okay I wouldn't say it wasn't clean, but it was everywhere. Okay. So I'm talking about a business, a machine shop, about 20 employees. Okay. Um, a typical size for a lot of the the, the shops. Yeah. <laughs> and and while they had a process in place, they didn't have a written quality system. Yeah. So when I say cleaning up the data, I mean mm, putting them in the correct buckets, making sure that they exist. Okay. Um, Finding using your computer system as the repository for the data yeah. and not a notebook and not Excel. I mean, sometimes you have to to, to do that. Um, and and I'm talking about like inspection data. Yeah. I mean, clearly they're doing it. They have to do it. They need to record it. Yeah. But but to find a systematic approach so that it's always in the same place. Yeah. And and so that creating your first article inspection report after the fact is not such a challenging uh, task because you're going to add a, a lot of steps when you're um, implementing AS9100. So, you know, the muscle memory isn't there, but once you do it over and over again, um, you'll find that these very necessary steps become part become your everyday it's 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 your ethos it's it's our culture it's, it's how you do things yeah so very interesting commentary there and obviously you know when we look at the data quality and data acquisition and especially when we talk about these processes right there are a million ways to doing the same thing uh, and in mm -hmm. my experience i think that's where the trick is so let's say if you talk about data quality and uh, you know sometimes what happens uh, let's say you have a report and you are getting an issue that the data quality issue is there maybe your sales commission is off maybe your uh, you know quality kpis that you are measure measuring maybe they appear uh, to be off but the underlying reason why they might be off is because of the way your either SKUs are structured or the way bombs are structured sometimes the issue could be, could be because of that uh, so do you experience similar uh, you know challenges in your space as well that you know maybe the business that you are working with they didn't really understand how to really design their SKUs the bombs and sometimes there could be data quality issues because of that. Now, the data quality is not the real issue as such. It's really the misconfiguration uh, of the, the ERP system or the way they are processing uh, their parts across the, or they are reporting the processing of the part. I mean, the reporting could be different than the actual processing itself. So do you experience mm -hmm. similar issues in your space as well? Um, well, in my company at TMF, we don't have that 
issue because we all came out of, of other manufacturing companies that had ERP systems and we knew to build upon it. Yeah. Um, the companies that I, I consult, um, I would say that, that most of the issues come from not necessarily the bomb. Okay. Um, cause, cause, cause they're not, they're not dictating the bomb. They don't own the bomb. Okay. Um, what the parts, the parts of the bomb that they own are the labor the, the work center. Yeah. And, and that's what they can control the materials, the, the components that's, that's coming from the customer. So yeah. how they put it in a system, um, the systems that they use are pretty, um, I would say flexible and allow, allow for that kind of setup. I would say it's mostly in the, the entering of the, of the information, the entering of the RFQs, the entering of the orders that, yeah. that the information you know, may not be, um, I guess, so exact, um, like, like due dates. Yeah. Um, it, on-time delivery is very important in our industry. Yeah. And, yeah. and I often go to their reports and say, oh, it's 70%, but we shipped it on time. Well, the due date that you enter <laughs> doesn't match the due date on the PO, because if I go back to several POs, yeah. you know, you're doing great. Um, so take credit for it. Give yep. yourself credit and enter the right date in the yeah. first place. You know, so they spend a lot of time on the product itself, not necessarily on the the, the data around the order. Yeah. So very interesting commentary there again. And you are right that especially in case of aerospace, uh, you know, you don't have a lot of control over bomb because bomb is probably going to be provided by, uh, you know, the variations that we typically see in our space with the customer is going to be sure the what your customer is saying that I want you to use this steel bar in this specific length in this specific width. So obviously, you know, you cannot change that because you need to comply uh, with those specifications, uh, the changes that you are going to experience and you are absolutely spot on that, you know, you have a lot of control in terms of how you are going to organize your operations because they are not going to dictate that. But the other point where you have a lot more control is how your uh, the SKU that you are using in the bomb is being produced. Sometimes some of the companies, they are going to do the intermediate process inside the company. So your inventory structure is going to be very different how you are uh, you know, structuring your inventory. And that could have your implications on the bomb and that could have implications on the way you are doing the traceability as well as the report. Uh, do you agree, disagree? What are your thoughts? On the way they manage their inventory. So within that subject of machine shops making parts for aerospace yeah um yeah the, the jobs are are very varied um sometimes it's you machine the parts and you assemble and so so you also need to know how to enter the bomb in your system to right. be able to assemble it correctly yeah um because what you get from your customer may not necessarily mirror the way your system puts it together um on the inventory side it, some customers will give you blanket order and yeah. other customers will order, you know, five at a month and, and give you different POs each time. So what we, what we like to do for, for entering inventory is, is a material that we buy is yeah. always assigned yeah. to a specific order. We don't buy inventory to put on the shelf to have available. Um, as soon as we receive it, it's assigned directly to the order. So, so you don't have any mix up like which bar 
goes to what customer and um, you can keep your your certs intact. Um, yeah. yeah, I was just looking at a new system where um, for the item master setup for the materials, you can check a box, you yeah. know, for, for buy to inventory. And and so when you receive it, when it hits the shop floor, um, you don't make that mistake of, of giving it to somebody else who happens to be using the same material, too. It is specifically for that one. Okay, so let me that's, make sure. That's how the traceability is. Very interesting. So let me make sure I understand this right. And I am going to provide some examples from, uh, you know, my experience in that space as well. Uh, so in this particular case, what you are saying is, and I know that you are right. Uh, most machine shops operate this way where they are going to get the order and they are going to make calls, they are going to buy the parts, and then they are going to produce. Now, when you look at this process, when you are talking about 20 people's shop, sure, for 20 people's shop, that may not be as big a problem. But when you are working uh, you know, with a shop that is going to be decent and not every shop is going to be 20 people, there are going to be a lot of shops that are far mm -hmm. bigger. Okay, then you need to look at the scalability of your processes. In this particular case, obviously your uh, you know processes are not going to be scalable uh, because you are literally picking the phone when your order is there, and that's not a very scalable way of doing your procurement. If you actually uh, talk to any of the procurement practitioner, what they are going to recommend is yes, you are going to buy the inventory for the order, but you need to consolidate all of your inventory footprint, you need to run the MRP process and then have that process automated so that you have enough material when you are trying to, to process the order. In fact, uh, you know, I don't know if this, the AS9100 process mandates that you need to have some sort of ERP processes in play. I would assume that, you know, aerospace companies would want to see that, that you have some sort of MRP process in place because that governs how scalable your processes are going to be or whether you are going to run into any supply chain with which is the major major concern uh, for the aerospace companies because if they are going to be short on this part their whole production mm -hmm. may stop so have you seen any issues because of this uh, because of just buying for the order uh no not necessarily because we do have the larger orders too okay. and and we, but honestly we try to keep it separate from the smaller from the smaller one off Okay. I'll, I'll say one off, even if it's not, you know, one item. Um, and, and so that ensures that the entire lot, um, that the entire document package applies to, to one order. Um, you know, I've seen other companies do it differently with, with racks and racks of material on the floor. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just the comfort level of, of the, the manufacturing facility, the size of the manufacturing facility too. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's not scalable from a small order to a large order because we're talking about different orders and companies. Yeah. Um, I think the scalability comes from your, your own process, yeah. how you handle scheduling, how you handle, how you communicate with your suppliers and arrange for the materials to show up on time. Um, for when we do get a large order, that requires the materials and a lot of dropships, et cetera, um, we have that co uh, communications up front, both with the customers and with the suppliers. Yeah. So so yeah. everyone has the same. Um, there's that, that human side of, of the business where you really need to, to talk to them and manage the expectation and also, and also um, set it within the shop. Um, again, it, we're making a thousand parts. We're making 10 parts. It's the same machines, same people. Um, it's the same scheduling devices. Um, so, you know, and we're, we're probably have one order for, for the thousand parts and have like a hundred orders for, for the 10 parts. So, 
So the ability to scale, um, the ability to, to manage those same time, um, all comes down to, to the scheduling. So I completely agree with you that, you know, the yeah. scheduling and the, uh, and the real operations on the shop floor is obviously going to be super critical and important. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, I want to go back to the, the supply chain processes, right? Uh, so the mm-hmm. supply chain, especially if you look at today's market, as you know, how, uh, uh, how broken the supply chain is, and it's really broken to be honest, okay? Uh, manufacturers are really struggling to find parts that they are looking for. Uh, for their job. So let's say if your processes are set up the way that you are going to order the parts when you have received the order. So now you are looking for the parts. Right now, if you look at the market, the parts are not available in the market. In fact, I'll tell you a story of yesterday's call. I was talking to one of the aerospace companies and they actually work on the material called beryllium. And there is only one company, I think they do the beryllium. So if you are, if your bottleneck is going to be that, obviously you are going to have these scheduling issues because if you don't have that critical component available in a stock, nobody else can provide in the market. You know, you are going to have the container issues if you are getting this material from overseas, uh, nobody can ship it. So how would you address these supply chain challenges? That is number one. And number two, is AS9100 going to be concerned about these issues because their goal from the AS9100 process is that, uh, you know, you have to get your supply chain in order. And if you don't have that, obviously, uh, you know, you are probably not meeting the AS91. So what would you say to that? So I would say to that from, from the beginning with when you start talking about that large, very large order with your customer, yeah. that's when you start the planning process. Okay. That's when you start um, getting your supply chain in order. Not when you get the order, but when you are working on the RFQ and, and you're, you know, you're assessing all the risks seeing how long it takes to get the material, um, seeing when you can get like ongoing repeated delivery and, and also making sure the product that the ones that we've been working on are, are DFARs. So they need to be made in the U S. Um, so we don't have the container issue (laughs) going on there. We, we might have the issue with finding the right supplier who can, can get you the domestic material. Yeah. When, you've, when you've set that up from the start and, and then you have the material delivery, um, the purchase orders in place, the, the schedule in place, um, I think that's when, that's when you, you know, I think that's what you're asking um, to get, to make sure that the, the deliveries are on time, the materials on time, and, and we're able to, to turn that part around as quickly as possible. Um, you know, more important than anything is making sure that the inspection information, the, yeah. the material is correct in the first yeah. place. Um, that's what I've come across personally. So that's not to say that that's, you know, that doesn't exist or, or other people might do it differently. Um, but that's how we've been, we've been handling it. Um, so for repeat work, okay. um, we've been fortunate to to have customers, you know, use their supply chain and deliver the material here, especially if they know that's going to be okay. very interesting. So I completely agree with overall, uh, you know, the assessment that you have provided, uh, you know, with this conversation. And I also agree that inspection is obviously going to be critical for the process. So now when you look at the inspection process, do you see any specific trends uh, where you might get issues in the inspection process? And if that is going to cause 
any issues either in the scheduling or meeting the timeline for the customer. And that could uh, come across as the red flag during the AS91 audit. Uh, so what I'm seeing um, with respect to AS and material and material receipts and inspection is yeah. no longer is it okay to just say, oh, this here's material, um, 6061, T6, aluminum, blah, 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 check, it's here. I now have to uh, make sure that the alloy that I ordered is the alloy that the customer wants. Yeah. So we need to go to the spec and make sure that the percentages of each component of the alloy fall within the range. Yeah. Um, so yeah. our in our receiving department, that's a, the main change that I'm that I'm seeing now. Areas where there are other hangups with inspection, um, I think we've got that dialed in pretty well. Um, we have it to the point that any part that we make, um, we can create an FAI because we're already collecting that data, whether the customer needs it or not. Um, with a press of a button and a couple of signatures and reviews, we can out spit out <laughs> uh, a fair report. Um, I think that's um, one of the advantages of our internal. Very cool. So what are some of the examples that you might be able to provide, uh, you know, where you have seen the inspection uh, or not the inspection, the audit itself being failed, uh, you know, because of some of the red flags that they found. So in your experience, when you are working with these smaller machine shops, as well as uh, as well as your own shop, uh, what Mm -hmm. are some of the red flags that they discovered during the audit? process? So I have to say, (laughs) I don't get red flags. I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And so um, in my own business, our our quality system is so uh, mixed in. <laughs> it's so part of our ERP system that an audit is sitting in the conference room with a laptop and a projector. Well, in, this, in these days, Zoom, our last two audits were in Zoom, and me sharing my screen. Um, everything is there. With the companies that I consult, yeah. they're not quite there. But they're getting there, and um, you know, I have, because they're machine shops, I can give them some advice on how to structure their process for the AS9 um, without changing the way they do things internally. Um, red flags? No, honestly, these are good companies. <laughs> I don't see red flags too often. Now, efficiency—that might be a different thing. Um, how they how they they manage their shops or yeah. how they how they enter their data or do their reports, but but their their product quality and their process quality, the shops that I have been fortunate to work with um, are doing well. I think when you have an auditor go through the floor, though, I'm, I guess I'll make up some scenarios. If they see parts that aren't marked yeah. on the floor, yeah. if they see parts it, it, and and you can't identify that a part was passed or fail, yeah. you know, that's yeah. a red flag. If you pick up... Uh, inspection tool calipers yeah. and the date is well expired uh, that's a red flag okay you know uh, things like that are are red flags so. do they typically look at the systems as well so are they going to verify let's say if the tool itself is expired but what is it showing inside the system because 
you know, I I don't know a company that is going to have 100% consistency, whatever is going to be in the system is actually going to be in the real world. That's very rare. Obviously, your effort is going to be to mimic uh, as much as possible, but that's typically not true. So let's say if on the floor, it says the tool is already expired, but in the system, it says not expired. So obviously, mm-hmm. you are going to assign that tool to an, an operation, and that's a red flag from the audit perspective. Do you have yeah. you come across this scenario? Are these auditors looking at the system as well, or are they simply looking at the tool and they are looking at okay whether it is expired or not? And if it is not expired, that's okay because uh, I know that you probably uh, have figured out your process. Well, no, that is a red flag, and and that is not okay. Okay. Um, to, to to mitigate that, to to prevent that, um, systems these days um, will have you enter your tool ID before okay. you even use it, and and your your tool ID, your tool database, calibration database will have um, your calibration date and the expiration date. And if it's already expired, yeah. um, first of all, you should look at your tool <laughs> and know that it's expired. But yeah. in the case that you don't and you try to enter the tool ID that you're using, you know, for a specific job, it won't even allow you to make the, that entry. Um, th- these days, uh, systems provide you with that kind of traceability. Yeah. So I yeah. can go back six months previous and see which job, which tool, was that was that calibrated, was that not? Um, again, our system doesn't pre- prevents you from using it, so we know it's calibrated. Um, and the, the other companies that work with our... Um, so when these auditors are doing the audit, they are in the audit process and maybe they are on the Zoom call, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that you mentioned, right? So when they are on the Zoom yeah. call, obviously you mentioned that they are looking at the actual tool, they are looking at whether that is expired or not. So do they go in the system, inside the system, what the system is uh, saying, and then cross-verify whether the tool has the similar information, whether it talks about the serial number, whether we are talking about retrieving the tool uh, you know, from the serial number or looking at the expiration date, verifying whether the expiration date is going to be same on the label, on the tool, as well as in the system. Do they go yes. at that, 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 uh, that level? They do go at that level. In fact, um, and this might answer many of your questions. Yeah. The audit process, you know, the the auditor will look from RFQ to shipping. Okay. And and they will pick, you know, some examples. They'll say, well, give me several RFQs that okay. you won, some POs from customers that you that you were awarded, and then they'll go through um, the POs. They'll okay. say, oh, okay. What, where was the request for quote? Did you do a risk assessment on that request for quote? Hmm. Did you address you know, the, the risk um, before you accepted the order? So yeah, we need to show that we checked that box you know, in the system, that we, we looked at those risks. And then they'll take that order and go through your production process. They'll look at all the purchase orders uh, associated with that, the material receive, receiving reports. They'll go through... Um, your your setup sheets, your the drawing, making sure the drawing uh, revision matches the order revision. They will go to that level of detail um, down to shipping. So at the point of shipping, they will say, "Oh, okay. Did the person was the part inspected? Was the part was the part count correct? Um, did you package it in the correct way? Did you use?" paper or peanuts or bubble or, <laughs> or paper, you know, they will be very specific about how, how the part should be protected, you know, on its way out. So it's our responsibility from the point that 
you know, we get the, the RFQ to shipping, to packaging and shipping that, that the quality is good. The quality is good. It's what the customer wanted. It's- very, very interesting. So that's it for today. Do you have any last minute closing thoughts or remarks for our listeners? Uh, well, you know, we didn't get into some of these specifics, but I would say try to keep it as simple as possible. Try to streamline your, your systems so that you can make them repeatable. Because with the repeatability and the repetition comes the like the quick, um, find your errors, you can find your flaws and issues early. I could say um, always c- continue communicating with your customer. Keep that, keep that line of the dialogue open because, you know, we're finding today everyone's busy. You will find issues at the RFQ um, level before you even get started. And even when you get the PO, um, just because you, you know, did the RFQ doesn't mean it's all going to be correct. Um, I'm talking about today. It just happened. <laughs> so keep it simple and, and maintain that line of communication. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be that, you know, AS is designed to help your business. So really mean the processes. The more you are going to follow, the higher chances you are going to have to become that 2,000 people shop from 2018. On that note, I want to thank you for your time. This has been a powerful episode. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much, Sam. Of course. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Anna or her CNC machine shop, TMF, head over to TMF inc.com it's tmf-inc.com and if you want to learn more about her quality system consulting and personal endeavors head over to rpdigit.com it's rpdigit.com links and more information will also be available in the show notes if anything in this podcast resonated with you in your business you might want to check other related episodes including the interview with Michael Venier, who shares the nuances of internal audit and its importance to get certified. Also, the interview with Aaron Tyson, who shares his journey to AS certification for his shop. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar background. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.